The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi there, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. The international break always feels long. It's a long time to go without Premier League football. I'm Rebecca Lowe, Robbie Mosto, Tim Howard with you this Saturday morning. We'll get to the team news in just a second from Goodison Park. But first, we have to touch on Project Big Picture. You probably read about it during the international break. Liverpool and Manchester United coming up with some ideas and proposals, including Premier League reduced to 18 clubs, special status for nine of the longest-serving clubs, which is the Big Six, plus Everton, Southampton and West Ham, where a vote of only six of those teams would be required to make major changes. The abolishment of the Community Shield and the League Cup and big money drifting down the pyramid and sent down to try and survive and help survive the league clubs down in the Championship League One and League Two. Now, this is just some of the proposals. It was, though, in an emergency meeting in the Premier League thrown out by all 20 clubs on Wednesday... When you look at those and you've read about it, do you like it or not? No, don't like it. Um, there's parts of it that I do like. I do like the idea of an 18-team Premier League. I love the idea of helping out the, the teams in the, the EFL. But you can't have all the power going to the top six right now because they'll be locked in. They can change the rules. They can change the revenues. They can change everything to suit them. Uh, and that's not a good thing for the league. The one club, one vote was what was put in place... 20-odd years ago, and thankfully that's what saved this, this situation. Tim, you're, are you a fan or not? I like it. I don't love it. I, what I do love is the $325 million that will trickle down to the EFL. That is, for, for anyone who knows football in, in Great Britain, it is the lifeblood of what, of what football is in the communities. So those teams have to survive, and right now they're, they're struggling to even stay afloat, so it's a must that that money gets put down. Right, they're almost ready to get in their cars and uh, take their trip to Manchester. But for some post-match thoughts, let's head back to Lee Dixon and Arlo Whitechaps. Hi, Rebecca. Just looking at that situation at the end there, they do have access to different pictures in the VAR centre, don't they, the match centre. But from what we saw there, do you agree with, with Robbie that there was very little evidence in which to yeah. cancel out and, and, and disallow what was a dramatic late-winning goal? Yeah, and I'm sure Everton won't, won't mind too much. But, but from the pictures we've seen, there was no way. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was a, an arm and a foot. It wasn't. It just didn't seem like it was offside in them. But the pictures they painted, obviously they've got different ones to look at. But what a game of football. Mm. We had end-to-end, we had incident, we had sendings off, we had injuries, we had should have been sending off, should have been red cards. It was just everything. It was a perfect Premier League hustle and bustle football match and, and two sides going at it. You know, Everton had the better of bits of the first half, but Liverpool dominated really that first mm. half. And then 
Everton started to come back into it. I think um, Ancelotti would be pleased with the, with the point in the end. Talk about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and, and, and you use the phrase, he's the next Duncan Ferguson. And that is high praise. <laughs> well, he, he's, he's got everything for me. I think he's really sort of almost grown into his stature as a centre-forward, and I think the pace he's got... He didn't get an awful lot of service over the top, which he would have preferred today, but he, he's, he's going to be a proper player. And when he was called upon to, to get him back into the game... What a header that is. Rebecca, what a header. Yeah, indeed. Rebecca, the wait goes on for Everton to win a derby, 23 and counting, but what a game of football that was. Incident packed, and we'll talk to you again from the Etihad later on. Let's hope it's the side of things to come today, gentlemen. Thank you. Now, if you haven't already, it's a good day to join Arlo's community. You'll get an inside look at Arlo's next trip today, sent directly to your phones. He'll be at Man City Arsenal in just a little bit. Kickoff at the Etihad is 12.30 Eastern on NBC. Now, to participate and become one of Arlo's pals, just send him a text, 203 Seven nine three six seven one six. Those are Arlo White digits. Robbie Musto, assess that game. Oh, I can't. Winners, losers. <laughs> Uh, winners, the Premier League and the fans, neutrals, particularly that watched that game, thought it was an amazing game of football. I thought Liverpool looked a better team mm. for the most part. I thought Thiago, in a slightly different role, looked so silky and smooth. Everton kept going. They came back twice and being behind. I thought the VAR and those controversial cause helped Everton but what a game of football it was and, and nobody can kind of say that 2-2 isn't a, a, a decent result but Liverpool fans will feel wow another day with a VAR they, they could have won. Before the game started I know you fancied your old team mm. you fancied Everton to get the win are you disappointed in them? Disappointed in the fact that they played I thought they played too slow too pedestrian we looked, we saw Villa Villa got the ball got turned and played him behind and it just seemed like as, as well as Liverpool pressed today Everton dallied on the ball. What you need to do is get in between lines, get turned, and run beyond. And that, that exposes their high line. Everton never exposed Liverpool's high line today. I still think at, at the end, take it in context. I haven't won a derby in 10 years. I got that. But in context, they're at the top of the table. They should have been two men down in terms of sending offs. There should have been a late equalizer. Uh, excuse me, a late go-ahead goal possibly by Liverpool. So in the end, I think that... Quite lucky to get out of there with a draw and still be in a, in a position they're in. Yeah, Liverpool, for them, good reaction, mm. good performance, good pressing. You know, I agree with what you're saying about Everton, but it was hard. It's mm -hmm. hard to play through Liverpool's kind of instant wanting to get that ball back. And, and that's what Jurgen Klopp wanted, a reaction much better from them with the passing and without the ball. Um, but he will be frustrated they didn't get all three points. Everton still top four contender? Yeah, after watching uh, absolutely. Top four contender. Yeah, I mean, not going to be easy, but uh, why not? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, OK, both of you agree. 2-2 then in the first game of the day. Well, before the game, Frank Lampard, the Chelsea manager, Tim said, people have to remain calm around this team. It's going to take time. The problem is mm. when you're leading games mm. and then you concede right near the end, trying to tell the Chelsea fans to remain mm. calm 3-3 at home against Southampton will be tricky if, as time goes on. Yeah, that's, that's the key point. With no disrespect to Southampton, Chelsea supporters are going to expect that they beat them. Um, it's, it's difficult because they don't look like they're set up to even keep a clean sheet. And, and, and it's one thing when you're winning games. It's another thing when you're conceding a lot of goals. And right now, they just don't look like they're, they're able to, to keep the they're, ball They're out. not durable, are they? No. They're not durable, Rebecca. And I know they've gone with this expansion with all these talented, young, new players in the side. And we saw a glimpse for like 15, 20 minutes where the four of them were out there, the new guys and Pulisic, et cetera. They've got to... They've got to They've got to find a way to do both sides of the game and be stronger and be tactically better. If not, then if when you're ahead in the game, control it then. You've got a lot of good footballers, mm -hmm. Jorginho. Control it and, and 
and keep the ball away from the opponents. They're doing neither of those two things, which means they're conceding opportunities and goals. Tim, what a strange game, because for so yeah. long, you could, the headlines were going to be all negative, yep. and then all of a sudden we're sitting here talking about a 4-1 win. How did that happen? <laughs> it, it, went, it went from 0-60. to 60. It was, it was yeah. a drab 1-1, and then just like that, it, 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 it became sensational for Man United. Um, not really sure. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot in it, other than the fact that I just think maybe United had too much power at the end. They were too, they were too strong. They were fitter. Um, you know, when, when you look at Newcastle, it was, it was a bit like... Can we hold out? Can we hold out? And sometimes when that second goal goes in, you saw their, their hands were on their knees. They were just deflated because they thought, here, we're going to get a result. And then we didn't, and the floodgates opened. I mean, credit where credit is due. Mm. There was criticism yep. before the game of the starting lineup yep. from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They've won the game 4-1. They've reacted to that defeat at Tottenham. He has to take credit. Absolutely. Yeah. All good from his point of view. And you saw it afterwards. He was happy, <laughs> really happy. <laughs> And uh, no reason. I mean, was it 85 minutes they were drawing this game? And you, I'm starting to write notes like they've lacked a little bit of attacking quality to find a way through, and then they, they go ahead and do it. So, fair play. The quality was there. It's just before that, Tim, just you're looking for a little bit of chemistry, a little bit of quality in the attacking mm-hmm. third. We didn't really see it until late on. But listen, this is football, and this is United. They do score late goals. Mm-hmm. He, he put himself under pressure by naming a team that didn't look particularly sexy, if you like. Mm-hmm. But it was late. They got the job done. Bruno Fernandes is a star player. Um, yeah, and he'll be relieved at those three points. I just want to go back to something you were talking about, the goalkeeping mm-hmm. situation, the Carl Darlow mm-hmm. injury. We were watching the game and you were sort of shouting, you've got to make the change. Yeah. Now, do you think it was relevant at all to the flurry of goals that went in at the end, that Carl Darlow injury, Tim? Not necessarily because he played really, really well on the day. Um, those, those were good goals. I mean, all three of those goals were taken really, mm-hmm. really well. It's, uh, it's easy to speculate on, on maybe maybe they should have made the sub. Look, he was struggling. He clearly was struggling. Uh, could have played a part, possibly, but take nothing away from Man, Man United. Those last three goals were fantastic. Yeah, it could be a problem, though, now if he doesn't play. See how his injury mm. goes. They've not got Martin Dubravka. Maybe they won't have Carl Darlow. Mm. They do have Mark Gillespie, that third-choice goalkeeper they brought in from Motherwell. Let's just round out a story that we started really at the beginning of the day, the Harry Maguire yeah. story. We touched on it at halftime. Mm. Again, another bit of credit yep. to the manager for playing him, because uh, what a terrible... Yeah. The time he's had. And also the player for standing up and saying, because it doesn't always happen, that no, gaffer, I want to play. And I just thought from the first moment, I thought he got on the ball a lot. Sometimes you might want to hide away from it because he is a passing centre-back. And look at this, he attacks the ball really well. This is the one that Shelby didn't go back onto the line. And again, strong there. And it wasn't just these moments. You know, generally his possession was good. He gets a shot here that goes a little bit wide. He made some blocks as well. Mm. And that's that totally, by playing him, Tim, and by having that sort of performance, it was a comfortable one. Newcastle Mm. didn't give him that many problems. Mm. But at least he kind of moves forward now. And the pressure will ease... And he's, you know, he's done himself a lot of favors there. Yeah, you'll know, you'll know as a footballer, it only takes, it only takes a little bit of, of, of success to give you confidence. It was a good yeah. game. He wasn't tested, as he said, yeah. but strong in the air. He got his goal. He stood up when, when questions were being asked of him, and they, had, they end up having a good win. So he'll get on the, he'll get on the bus and then yeah, on the plane and feel really good about himself. That's what I was going to ask you. Just give us a bit more insight in that, how a player under the kind of pressure Harry Maguire has been under yeah. during the international break and certainly in the last few days ahead of this game, how will he be feeling mm. as he travels home? Well, that's, that's, that's it. It's a, it's a roller coaster where when you're low, you're low, and when you're high, you're super high. And that will give him a massive amount of confidence because he'll be proud of himself for stepping up to the plate in the face of criticism and having that game. Jordan, oh, we all thought you've got a winner there. I think you did as well. So how do you feel that it was ruled out and overall? It doesn't feel good. Um, I felt as though we deserved to win the game. 
Um, so yeah, nothing to say really. Uh, I thought the reaction was good from the boys for the full game, um, and deserved to win. Yeah. Obviously, a good early start, but how much of an impact was Virgil Van Dijk's substitution, and, and what did you think of the actual challenge? Um, well, it happened quick. I think it's a penalty if it's not offside. Um, obviously, yeah, Virgil is a big player, so it's a big miss for us. But I thought Joey come in and done a brilliant job. Um, and like I say, I thought overall we deserve to win. So, obviously, you've got a game coming up now thick and fast. How do you keep things going with all these fixtures coming along? Just keep performing like that um, with the same intensity, recover well, get ready for the next game like we always do. Uh, one key moment. The no, more key moments. There was plenty of key moments, exactly. but one in particular was Jordan's with the injury of Virgil van Dijk yeah. it's pretty early in the game so I'm not, I didn't see it back but um, it took a while so obviously it was not not um, too big the offside and then Pickford kicks him completely out of the so that's uh, <laughs> how does he not get a red card for that do you I didn't see it back I saw it the first time so you, you maybe can can say more about this um, I have to watch it back the only situation I saw back was the um, now only um, briefly in the in the dressing room, it's the, the the Henderson goal and the pass for Sadio, and I didn't see offside. Sorry, but we have, well, maybe um, somebody would explain it to me. The picture I saw was no offside, but it was offside because somebody decided it. Yeah, we haven't been able to work that one out either, so it must be a very, oh. very close decision. Okay. A very close call at the end there. You must have felt that the points had slipped away. Yeah. Now there were a lot of difficult decisions from, from the referee from the beginning. Uh, uh, really difficult. Uh, but I think we on the pitch there, there, there was one of the best referees. And so no, no complaint for this. Every game we seem to be talking about Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but again, another giant leap from him, wasn't it? Yeah, fantastic goal, a fantastic effort. The, the, it's not easy to play against Liverpool because they press really high. We had, uh, we tried to play, we put some long ball, we fight. So it was a complete performance. But as, as, as I said, we have to accept the result. This could be a defeat, could be a victory, is a draw, and we accept. One, one controversial call, perhaps Jordan Pickford's tackle, I say it's a tackle, on Virgil van Dijk, which he didn't seem to get away with a punishment no, there. I, and he I, can't. Know, I know that I know that it seems offside before. Yeah. So, but I think that if it was not offside, it could be a penalty. But yes, but even then he could still get a card even if it was offside. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but I'm not here to judge the decision. <laughs> Ten years you've been waiting to meet Liverpool in this Mersey derby. I suppose you'll be delighted to rescue something here. In the end, yeah, but I think disappointed that we didn't kick on at 1-1. You know, we've done well to get ourselves back in the game. And I thought, you know, we, we knew that we wouldn't we'd have, go through spells where we wouldn't have the ball, but we had the quality today, you know, I've had a chance myself, which... I'd back myself to put away, and unfortunately not. And then the game kind of goes the way it does, but it's coming. I, I genuinely believe it's coming. I thought today would be the day um, that we would do it, but it's not to be, so we go to the next one. Well, Carlo Ancelotti says he's not here to judge, but, gentlemen, you are. So let's take another look, shall we, at this challenge. Robbie Buster. You know, 
I, I totally understand the 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 anger and, and the emotions that Liverpool fans are feeling right now. It, listen, this is a horrific challenge from a goalkeeper that's that's done rush thing, rash things before, but for it to be unpunished and just let go by officials this is a this is a human this is david coot who's the vr in this game for him to miss that or not to feel that that's worth the referee michael oliver to go over and check that out it's astonishing to me and we've talked a lot about var and some of it's been the system the offside in this game you can criticize the system but this is a human looking at that and thought that was okay when we saw it tim and with everybody, my, my pals at Liverpool fans that are texting me, they, ca they cannot believe what they've seen there. And it just feels really wrong. The guy is going to be out for seven or eight months if it's confirmed that it's ruptured the ACL. And that's really hard to take. And Liverpool fans tonight, after watching that, will be, will be pretty devastated. Just to clarify, we did speak to the PGMOL to try and work out what exactly David Coote was doing in Stockley Park when he was looking at this incident. Now, he looked at whether or not it was offside, looked at whether or not it was a penalty, and then, because it was offside, kind of washed his he hands must, of it, really. He must have really. looked at it, Rebecca, as well. And look, I think he looked at it, but not from the perspective of whether yeah. or not it was a red card, and that's the perspective he should have looked at, because that was not... I mean, that was the most stonewall red card of all right. time. So, to Musty's point, there's been human error here, because we talked about, if it's been a judge to be offside, great, no problem, you can't give a penalty because they're also offside. Got it. But a set of eyes, a set of human eyes, looked at that tackle... From, uh, from Pickford, and thought, no problem, Michael. Don't need to go to the monitor. Don't even need to see it. Play on. It, they've missed it. They've completely missed yeah. it because, yeah. because of the letter of the law. They could have, they could have given some retribution to Pickford, yeah. whether it be a yellow card or red yeah. card, and they just chose to. Yeah. It's no. not. It's not okay to take out somebody, even though the game might have stopped or there's an offside. Sure. It's not okay. If that was okay, then as soon as. Uh, if I'm playing defensively, <laughs> I see a flag. All right, I've got, I've got a few seconds to do something. Yeah. So that, that it, it didn't seem right. It's not right. It was a miss by, a miss. by David Cooper. Well, the independent newspaper, not long after the final whistle, did report that Liverpool are going to ask the Premier League to review the application of VAR on that specific moment and the offside moment with Sadio Mane at the end that denied Jordan Henderson his goal. But let's just return to the mm. absence of Virgil van Dijk report. Seven to eight months, which does see him out for the rest of yeah. the season. We talked a little bit about it at half-time. If you're all the other big six, mm -hmm. without being offensive, you're no. celebrating. Yeah, and, and obviously if, the, if, this is, if this is how it's going to go down, you need surgery, you wish him a speedy recovery because it's a, it's a nasty injury. But... When, when you're the teams in and around it looking to challenge for Liverpool's title, I personally don't feel that Gomez, Matip, Fabinho as a makeshift center half, none of those players create a good partnership. They, are, they have all, their levels have all been raised because they've got the world's greatest center back next to them. So together as a partnership, I think other teams will be seeing this as a liability. So mm. can Liverpool win the league? without Virgil van Dijk. Yes. With the partnerships that Tim's talking yeah, about, you and, still and, think they And Tim play. makes a valid point, because when Fabinho played, it was with van Dijk, mm -hmm. and he looked a million dollars. And the understanding, the new understanding, the new chemistry of different defenders, whether it's Fabinho, whether it's Matip and Joe Gomez, is going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. I just believe in the manager, I believe in the team, I believe in the midfield in terms of extra protection. It's going to be harder, but given what I've seen, what, we're only five games in... Mm -hmm. I still think they will end up being the best team in the Premier League this season, even with Van Dijk out. A line on Everton. Disappointed today? A little bit, but, uh, but 
you know, I remember thinking before this game, can Everton slick really good football that's impressed us mm. handle a Liverpool press? And they couldn't, really, mm. which is not a big criticism because it's a fantastic high press that Ancelotti talked about there just after the interview. Mm. But they just were found out a little bit. James was, was so hurried and so rushed. He gave the ball away a few times. Andre Gomez wasn't as good as he normally is because the time wasn't there. So that's what we may have expected. They got full throttle Liverpool and found it difficult for the most part. But they do come away with a 2-2 yeah. scoreline. Slight reality check, do you think, for Everton today? Slight? No, not, not really, because very few teams are going to press of that quality yeah. in, in yeah. the Premier League. And... Everton are still a good free-flowing football team. I thought they were slow on the ball. I thought, I thought Gomez was a bit pedestrian. Jamez the same. He looked a bit human. But for the most part, they're going to play good football. They, they, they nick the draw. Mm. They'll, they'll feel good about that because, obviously, they have, to, they have to come from behind to do it. So a little bit of a reality check, but I still think they're going well. And Cavalloon, just another, you know, another uh, yeah. brilliant goal from him, and he'll be you know, feeling pretty How good. How does he get up that high? Uh, I don't know. Amazing. Amazing. Great header. Timo, tell me about that match. It looked like Chelsea were very comfortable 30 minutes in, but then you've obviously ended up drawing it. Uh, yeah, I think um, the first half we played very well um, until the, the goal from, from uh, Southampton. Um, yeah, when you get the goal um, two or three minutes uh, before the halftime, it's always not the, not the easy situation because you have to, to think uh, or have a clear head in the second game because two goals are much better than one goal. Um, and, but, yeah, at the end, I think also in the second half, Southampton make a lot of pressure on us. Um, he, he, they press us high, and I think we did, with, our, with us well, we, they, we give them not so much chance to, to, to score, but at the end, yeah, too, too, too much that they uh, have the opportunities to, to score goals. But at the end, I think, yeah, we have to win the game. Well done on your first two Premier League goals. Talk us through the second one in particular, how you took that one. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy about my goals, but at the end uh, I want to win the game. And uh, that was, uh, it's a day for me uh, today that uh, 50% I'm happy, but 50% I'm, I'm not happy. But um, the second goal, I, I saw that the Georgie play a long ball. Um, I tried to, to get the ball. Um, keep my body in front of the defender and then um, yeah the only uh, thing I thought in front of the goalkeeper was uh, putting it over him and that it goes so uh, was not like uh, I will do it like this but I'm I'm yeah glad that it that it uh, works and uh, yeah but at the end I want to win the games and that's that's the, the thing we lose today. Frank, how did that come to be that you drew after seemingly being very comfortable, at least for the th first 30 minutes? Yeah, well, the first half, you know, they scored towards the back end of that. Some of our football was great. You want to really finish the game off at that point. 2-0 was never a finisher, and 2-1 is a dangerous result. We know that, so we went into half-time like that. And some great stuff played there. But second half, we allowed the, the pressure that they wanted to put, to put us under to, to gain some traction because we, we kept trying to play a little bit message was to keep trying to go a bit longer and miss out the press we didn't do that enough and then of course you can see late on so you lose the points is it fair to split your team in two at the moment and say in attack it's clearly working and in defense there are issues that are not not yeah you, know, you, you can't split them in two because you have to give credit to our attack for the for the first goal comes from playing from the back and through the through the lines and getting up the pitch so it's the same when you defend you defend from the front and back but of course when you make mistakes that are, that are pretty clinical that give goals away then 
have a direct effect on the result because we're not playing you know, bad teams in Southampton. They're a dangerous team, and until you uh, you get two goals up, you have to be absolutely clear that you don't want to concede. We're not. We didn't do that today. Ralph, lots of twists and turns right at the end as well to get the point. Yeah. I think we saw a very interesting game, eh? for, for a spectacular game if you want, uh, with a lot of uh, goal chances, uh, with a not-so-good first half from my side. Uh, you could see that we were not organised, not active enough, uh, nothing really worked and it, then it looks like this. Uh, we had not really time to, to prepare for this game, so it takes time until we, we come in our rhythm, they are all gone everywhere, playing different style than we play. And, yeah, in the second half, then after the, was I think it was much better in the second half. We were dominant. We had, uh, I think, a lot of possession, uh, good game management, uh, made the equaliser, conceded again an easy goal. What is, from in my opinion, a little bit too easy, but we know about the the, the quality and the speed of, of Timo and and Harvard. This is hard to defend, and when you're not really concentrate, then they, they kill you. And yeah, then we never stopped believing in what we are doing and uh, finally um, yeah, could make the equaliser and I think it was deserved the point. Well, it's a really good point indeed for Southampton and a very good question to Frank Lampard, Tim, about let's divide his team in <laughs> half. Credit for the attackers and criticism for the defenders. Lampard didn't want to be drawn on that. Um, but what do you think Frank Lampard and his coaching staff are not doing on the coaching field that they should be doing more of with this defence? I'm not even sure it comes down to coaching at this point. They just don't have the right players. And I love Aspilicueta, but he's getting older. They brought in Chilwell left back. Fantastic. I like him a lot. Their center backs aren't up to it. Now, you can put Reese James at right back and, and, and work him in. Zuma, Christensen, they brought Thiago in. Thiago's a stopgap. I, I, think they, I think they were naive in spending so much money up the front and just thinking this will get us over the line. Because as we've seen... They don't look like keeping a clean sheet today, tomorrow, or next week, or ever. The only thing I'd say about that, Tim, if 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 he doesn't believe, mm. or the coaching staff doesn't believe that the centre backs or the defenders are great individually, yeah. then coach. Yeah, then yeah, he has course. to coach. So so I think he should be doing more. So what I think, what we're seeing now is there's a, obviously there's a good Chelsea and there's a bad Chelsea, and it, it's it's rearing its ugly head. The bad Chelsea almost every game. That's nine goals conceded and five in the Premier League. For me, you've got to ask Pulisic, you've got to ask Havertz, you've got to ask. Ziet came on, whoever's playing, or Mason Mount. Listen, we've got to be a team. We've got to attack together. We've got to defend together. Because we have a tactical camera right here, and it's many games where I watch Chelsea, and I watch them going forward, and they're great. But I look at it defensively, and, and the, the flair players are not doing enough, Rebecca, to help out defensively. Mm. And, and teams don't win championships by having players that are not two-way players, which is an American term, which I really mm -hmm. like, actually, for, for footballers. And I, I believe that the manager should be doing that, and more compact, and, and that might help protect players that maybe aren't best defensively. I mean, pe people are going to want to hear this. N'Golo Kante is at his best winning World Cups and all the reasons we like him, it's because he sits in front of that back four as a number six. He doesn't go very far. He puts out fires. And to your point, he delays the football enough yeah. to allow the wingers to come back. They've gotten so expansive under Frank Lampard yeah. that N'Golo Kante isn't that sitting number six. He's gone away and now it exposes the back, the back four. And Jorginho. Jorginho's yeah. next to him, who's, yeah. who can't defend, and he's right. not got no pace or no power. So with his partner and the two wide players, you know, they, they've got to find ways, Rebecca, to protect that back four even more and, and be more compact. Mm -hmm. Do you think the current centre-half partnership or ships is good enough to make top four? I do, just, but 
Only just. And if Thiago Silva comes in and, and, and settles in to be the mainstay and the main guy and he organises, because there, there should be enough there. But if he doesn't de defend better as a team, they might not do it. And, it, and it's, it would be criminal because they got brilliant talent going forward. OK, the first 16 minutes, three <laughs> goals for Spurs. The last eight minutes, three goals for West Ham. Robbie, go some way, please. No, please. Explain. No, no, you have to. No, this is your job. Me. Explain what me. happened. Well, uh, well, first of all, top marks for West Ham United. Because after that first, whatever it was, 17, 16, 17 minutes, they kept going. They mm. kept trying to get their game going. And, you know, Spurs were defensively strong. Mentioned it at halftime. They'd done a good job there as well. But they kept going in the second half as well. And as time wore on, you know, you get that goal from Barbuena. And as you said, there's a glimmer of hope. Now, the next two goals a little bit, I mean, full credit, but, you know, Sanchez is a little lazy, just reaches mm -hmm. across, glances off his head, a little bit of a tired defending that time. And then the strike from Lanzini, you know, he's, who sees that coming? So, listen, full marks. And there's one thing I didn't expect at halftime is to see David Moyes dancing on the field after the game. <laughs> I've never seen him, I mean, you know him better yeah. than any of us, to do that and show that sort of emotion. This is a different West Ham United now to the team under Pellegrini. You wouldn't have seen that. Well done, David Moyes. I mean, we joked uh, yeah. before the game and at half-time about David Moyes not being there, then winning two games. Um, and now we think definitely he should be on touchline for <laughs> yeah, every single yeah. game. Um, dancing, preferably. Um, Tottenham, Jose Mourinho, what do you think he's going to say? Well, he'll be gutted. That, that, that should never happen. 3-0 up that way. You're cruising the game. West Ham aren't in it. OK, half-time comes. They'll have to make a change. He'll be devastated because he doesn't like to concede goals, Jose Mourinho, and they've, and they've conceded three there at the end. We questioned about David Moyes being on the touchline. That's, that's the impact he has. Because I'm telling you what, that dressing room at halftime would have been horrific because I've been on the other end of it. And it wasn't nice in the reaction. They got a guy like Lanzini to score the equalizer. He's found it very difficult under David Moyes. So you, it, it speaks to the belief of this team in each other and in the manager. Bet that dressing room's quite nice now. Oh, but yeah. what about Jose Mourinho? His interview has just come in. Here he is. Jose, I've given up trying to understand football. Can you explain what happened tonight? Football. Happens football. Uh, I prefer to give them credit for their belief because to be losing 3-0 uh, and to keep believing and to keep trying, they deserve their, uh, their credit. Uh, but for us, it's, uh, it's a 3-0 defeat in, in the second half. Uh, so that means in the second half we were not as good as in the first half and uh, we were punished by that. Emphatic in the first half, scoring in under a minute, three goals by 15 minutes, a wonderful debut by Bale who nearly scored a beauty just minutes before the equaliser. We had a, a 4-0 by, by Harry Kane hitting the, uh, the post, we had a 4-2 with, uh, with Garrett. Uh, we all thought the game was, uh, was controlled but it wasn't and uh, one uh, free kick uh, brought them to the to the game, and then the, the third goal is an amazing goal, but completely out of of the context. So once more, I want to analyze the game, of course, uh, internally. Um, but for you, I, I, I prefer to to praise um, West Ham belief. That was an unstoppable equaliser. It was something very special. Let's talk about Gareth Bale's return to Tottenham, return to White Hart Lane. It's very emotive, even for people that aren't yeah, Tottenham but fans. You, before the game, you want to speak about Garrett, and after the game, you want to speak about Garrett, and in the end, it's Tottenham against West Ham, and uh, that's more important.
Thank you. Well, when you sign Gareth Bale, people want to talk about Gareth. But I want to talk about something else for a second. You did say before the game, I think at halftime as well, Robbie, that Tottenham could be in the conversation for a title win. Does the way that they let West Ham back in today affect your thinking a bit? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I was going to go in this little uh, segment now because that's no clean sheets for Spurs now this season. And we've all got excited about what they've done going forward and they look fantastic and the players coming in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe I, as, many, as, as well as other people, get excited about what they could do. But I've always said there's plenty of ifs. If, if Bale can, can, can do well and, and if... Jose finds a defensive solution, and he hasn't done it yet. That's what's surprising, Tim, that we normally associate Mourinho with defensively strong and they'll play on a counter-attack, which they did today, but they're still not finding the central defensive area solid and reliable enough. Yeah, I, I, I'm sticking with your, your original point. I do think they are contenders in the sense that Jose Mourinho won't let that happen again. Just set that to me. I know, but speaking to clean sheets... No one's keeping clean sheets this year. I don't know if it's a byproduct of the fact that there's no fans in the stadium because the fans get on your back. They make you make better decisions in terms of not making mistakes at the back. I just wonder if if the clean sheet total of every team is going to be down. I have a feeling it is and because it's a byproduct of not having the fans there. So maybe everyone's conceding goals and it just they, they happen to be another team. But he'll get that right. That's, in, that's interesting. You still see them as a title contender? Well, the way it's been going, yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, David, the half-time team talk must have gone well. What on earth did you say to them? Well, the half-time team talk was actually uh, was really difficult because it was 3-0 down, but I actually thought our team had played really well, except for the opening 5-10 minutes. And probably the toughest decision was not to make any decision because it's always quite easy as a manager you know, to feel that you have to make choice, make decisions and change things. I didn't think we did. I thought we were playing well enough. Obviously, we'd given away three goals, which I, I, I couldn't believe, actually. But they got the first goal and we had a great chance from a corner to make it one each. And I think from that corner they went straight up the pitch and made it 2-0. So, look, these things happen and I think that's the way football's been a little bit at the moment. We didn't defend well enough in the opening 10 minutes or so. I think after that we've done a really good job. So are you fairly philosophical in the early part of the match then? You've just been undone by a world-class player in Harry Kane. Harry Kane was, was incredible today. He was, he was so good, you know, and... Up close, he's a terrific player for the people who don't see him up close. He really is a top player. So uh, what did you do in the second half to get yourselves back into it? I think we've done what we've done in the first half. I'm sure it's very easy for everybody to say, oh, we need to make changes, we need to do something different. We thought we were playing really well. I said it to the players at half-time. I said the defending we didn't like, but our play was very, very good. Actually, and it got even better in the second half. And... Uh, you know, in the end, we, we got some goals from it as well. What does it say about a team when you show the resilience you did this evening? Well, I, I think as a manager at times, you know, it's very difficult to use the word proud very often because you know there's moments which you get it, but I've got to say t tonight was a really proud moment to be the manager of the team because how well they played, how well they kept at it, their honesty, they never gave in, they kept going. 3-0 down to score, 3-0 down against Tottenham. It's a big result, and it's a local derby as well. So, so hopefully the supporters all have enjoyed us getting back into the you game. Like you enjoyed the third goal particularly. I thought yeah. you were going to join the huddle at one yeah, point. No. Well, I wasn't sure if it was. I think it's looking a bit like a David Pleat moment. I've got to say, which uh, would be right, uh, you know, for this club. But, uh, but you know, I wasn't going to slide down the touchlines on my knees because that had been done before. Is this another step in the development? Do you think for this group, David? I, I think the, I think the team's getting better. I see it. I really do. I see it in training. I see them getting better. I've said before, I'd like, to, I'd like to make the club, the team, everything better if we could, and I think there's potential to do that. You touched on it in one of your earlier answers, crazy football at the moment. 
Yeah. Can you explain, in a general sense, what we're seeing? Uh, I can't quite work it out if it's the quality of the forwards are so good. Probably being a defender myself, I'm actually looking at it probably from the other side and thinking it's it's a lack of good defending. Uh, I think we didn't defend well enough on a couple of the goals early on. But I'm sure Josie will be saying the same. You know, when you can see goals, you're always looking at the at the negative side of it. But I do think that we've probably seen an awful lot more goals than we've probably seen for a while. Uh, whether it's to do with the crowds or whatever that may be, I'm not sure. But I can only put it down to really not being particularly good defending refers there to the David Pleat moment 35 years ago. Luton manager David Pleat running on the pitch when Luton avoided relegation <laughs> at Main Road against Manchester City. Look it up if you haven't seen it. That David Moyes feels a little different from the David Moyes of Project Restart at the end of last season. You know him best, Tim. Mm. Tell us about what you're seeing there. That was television, David Moyes, because he talked about going to the locker room and not having to change much. Well, I'm telling you now, there was things getting thrown across the dressing room <laughs> where people scared. And he, he talked about it being difficult to not have to make changes mm -hmm. because he thought they played well enough in, in, in spurts that he didn't have to make a change. And when you're down 3-0, the obvious answer is make a change. Yeah, and particularly the way that the midfield was getting overrun mm -hmm. with Kane and then Dombele and, and Sun dropping in there. You, yeah, I, I thought, you know what, he should make a change in there to try and stop that. But Spurs sat off and his team came forward. That result and that even that little dance... Won't our flipping endear him to the West Ham fans, yeah. Rebecca? He's had a tough time kind of getting him on side as if he's a West Ham manager. But I'll tell you what, he's, he's, he's helped him a couple of times now and he's really making this team in his own image. Well yeah. done, David Moyes. Yeah. The one thing we know for certain, Tim Howard, about this Premier League is that you never know what's going to happen and you can never, ever, ever think, oh, there's only a couple of minutes left. <laughs> I, I think I'll turn over because everything goes right to the wire. What's your story of the day today? Aston Villa. Aston Villa up to second the game in hand, as I've said, they've turned the corner now. They've turned the corner. They don't have to worry about relegation and think about you know, these six-pointers. They're at the top of the table on merit. What I liked about them today was this 7-2 seven, seven against Liverpool is flattering. It's really, it's really, really nice. But these are the games that are going to get them over the line. The ones where we didn't, they didn't play particularly well, thought they were slow, things weren't coming off for them, and yet somehow, some way. They found a way through to get a win. And then you look at Ross Barkley, a, a former teammate of mine. He's a special, special talent. Okay, maybe with surplus to requirements at Chelsea. But he's found a way to get into a team with his good buddy Jack Grealish, and they found this combination that seems to be a winning one. It's so interesting to see a team go from sort of zeros to heroes so quickly. I mean, to go last day of the last season, stay up by a point, to four wins from four, and they're actually a third of the way already to safety. Mm -hmm. That's so rare to see that turnaround. Does it spread the credit everywhere, would you say? Yeah, there was, a bunch of, there was a bunch of dominoes that had to fall. They had to stay up, which they did on the last day. They spent a record fee, which, which shows the financial backing and the ambition of the club. Talk about ambition. They kept their best player mm -hmm. in a long time in Grealish. They bring in a top player from a top club in Chelsea and Ross Barkley. So there's these little dominoes that start to get put into place, and you're thinking, now we can crack on here. Well, Villa fans have waited a long time to see their team mm -hmm. in the top four, mm -hmm. let alone top two. Your story of Sunday. Oh, the London derby. Spurs versus West Ham United. And I just reference other teams. It's been a fascinating season for, for, for many reasons. But how about... The big six, the big clubs, scoring and conceding. Liverpool, Man City, Manchester United. And Chelsea and Spurs are similar, Rebecca. And we've got confirmation today of Spurs again from that. Chelsea, really good going forward. Can't get the balance right. Defensively, weak. Are we seeing the same thing with this Spurs team? It looks like it because they were fantastic. Absolutely amazing. The best I've seen them under Jose in the first 
well, I guess first 45, but the first 15, 20 minutes particularly. And then the second half, we see this capitulation, a, a nervousness about them. The first goal goes in and just a, a, a lack of solid defensive foundation that you normally assume with a, with a Mourinho team, we're still seeing it. He still hasn't found it, got it right. He still won't be happy about how this team defends. And I hope it doesn't mean they're going to get even more defensive now, particularly as Bale is at the football club. But it has to be an issue, like it is at Chelsea for Frank Lampard, of finding the right balance of attacking and defensive. Who do you have more faith in, Lampard or Mourinho, to get it right sooner? Uh... They've both had a long time, by the way, mm. but I've got to say Mourinho, because, mm. and it, Tim, you said it early on, and we've talked about it a lot, and he hasn't got it right. You know, and there wasn't a ton of signings for central defence. Left back and, and Reguilon is very, very good. We saw yep. that with the cross. Mm. Um, you know, to be honest, I, I think we might see this continue. And back to your point, Aston Villa, by far the best defensive record. Two goals conceded. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, to go to your point of amazing turnaround of a defensively poor side into one that's yeah. the best in the league. 67 mm -hmm. goals conceded last season. Two only right. in right. four games this. Aston Villa have won four games to start a league season for the first time in 90 years. Ahmed Farid with my two good buddies here, Robbie Musto and Tim Howard. Let's start with a big story in Liverpool, Robbie, the injury to Virgil van Dijk, possibly for the entire season, that knee injury, multiple reports saying it's an ACL. We know this hurts their title chances. How significantly do you think it hurts their title chances? Well, it really does. Um, but for me, I still have them as favourites. 18-point gap last year. That was their, their lead from last season for winning the title. Um, we know that there are other centre-backs at the football club, Joe Gomez, Joe Matip now that are both fit. Matip has had multiple injury issues but if those can st two can stay fit um, Fabinho we've seen play back there at least one game this season looked very very comfortable Thiago is a new player that can slot into his position in midfield so there are other options plus a January transfer window that's going to come around pretty quickly and you've got to think that the club are going to be looking for a replacement because it seems like they've got to forget about Van Dijk for the rest of this season but again for me looking at the other sides and what they've done and how they've looked I still think Liverpool will come out top. What do you think, Tim? I agree. In the last 48 hours, I have to believe that the conversations within the Liverpool boardroom are, can we sustain some sort of success to get to January so that we can get bring in a top centre-back? I know that'll be tough to do at that stage, but they'll have to get someone better than, I think, Matip and Gomez. Fabinho, for me, yes, Thiago can go into the midfield. Fabinho could drop back. He's always been a bit of a stopgap centre-back, so I don't love the pairing. That's what worries me about Liverpool's title chances. That being said, there's an 18-point gap last year at the top. The way that teams have been defending, the way the teams have been dropping points this year, I don't think that the clean sheet tally or the total points tally will be nearly as high this year. So I think that gap's already closed. You mentioned the way teams are allowing goals this year at a, mm. at a greater pace than they did last year. There is this thought out there, and some people are saying, Robbie, that if there's any year to not have a top-notch defense and still have a legitimate chance to win the title, this is the year just because defense as a whole is down in the league. Yeah, I, I'm not having that argument. I, I still think, you know, for, to be a champion, you've got to be strong defensively. And it's easy to say that right now because of what we're seeing, and I get that. But by 38 games in, the best defensive team will win this title. And which of the big boys can figure that part of the game out will win the title. We all know that all the teams, Tim, when you look at all of them, from Spurs, from Chelsea, uh, maybe Arsenal, 
they've all got potential to score goals, but show us a team that's got the balance to defend well as well. So you're not going to see a, 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 a champion with a zero-goal difference. They're still going to be strong defensively. It's just which one of, of all the big boys sorts it out. It's really intriguing to me about going back to Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp is clearly one of the greatest managers in world football. He's clever. Tactically, he's absolutely brilliant. He presses, keeps a high line. I just wonder... I just wonder now, does he see that as a liability and, and change formations a little bit, maybe not be as expansive and as aggressive? Or does he say, you know what, we're going for it. I trust these two, whichever two I pick in the center of defense, and we're going for it. Have to be agile, but they've built some depth, and uh, hopefully that depth is going to pay off for Liverpool this season. It was a legendary season for them last year, and we want to tip our cap to a legend in the broadcast industry as well. Doc Emmerich, longtime voice of hockey, of NBC, NHL, and NBC, announced his retirement today. 50 years covering hockey, 15 as the lead play-by-play man for NBC and NHL. Doc, have fun in retirement. Congratulations on a great career, and if you get bored... Come on back, right? I mean, that's always allowed. That's always allowed. What a great career. One of the best to ever put on the headset, for sure. Doc Emmerich announcing his retirement today. All right, so at the end of the day, both these clubs earn a point, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they're happy about that. But do, do we feel better about either of these clubs, two clubs that started the day in the, in the relegation zone, Robbie? Uh, good question, and, and no is, is the answer. I thought West Brom looked bright and lively and tried to play in the first half. I thought they fell away in the second half worryingly. The attack looked a little bit lightweight in terms of production and Pereira wasn't particularly effective. That's got to be a concern. I guess they look better defensively. Ivanovic, you know, is going to add to them and make them better back there. Uh, For Burnley, they were stronger. Better second half, stronger. This is what Burnley are going to do again this season. They're going to grind. They're going to just try and overpower, get bought into the box. Just I just looked at the results. So that's four games now with one point. And it was Leicester, Southampton, Newcastle and West Brom. That's not a difficult start. Leicester, the first one, difficult. But the, so that's disappointing. They got some catching up to do. And I still think it's going to be a very difficult season for both of these clubs. Yeah, West Brom fell away a little bit. They had 60% possession in the first half. They just, they just came off the pace. I didn't think Dean Gano was as lively. I didn't think Pierre was lively. Missed a chance there at the end. Burnley, for me, one, they kept a clean sheet. Really good for them. They were, they were much more stout defensively, and they grew into the game. I thought in the second half, and you saw there by the chances, they actually, they actually had a chance to get more out of this game, and I thought they should have. But that, is, that, that, to me, if I'm Burnley, that gives me hope. They've created chances. I, if, if Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood create, get those chances again, they'll finish them. They're goal scorers. The problem was, with them was that they weren't tight enough at the back. Pope played brilliantly. I thought t- together they played defensively really well as a unit, as you saw with the two blocks on, on Ivanovic. So, well done, Burnley. One thing that's going to be interesting for Burnley here is Sean Dyche has been that rising star, mm. one of the rising stars in the Premier League. Mm. And I guess we're going to learn how he can navigate this situation because it's unlike any that he's had in the last at least three yeah. years here. Yeah, he's, he's working with, a, with the same squad pretty much. Um, well, others have strengthened and new teams have come in, particularly Leeds, that have looked really, really good. So that's another very... I mean, he's such a, he's such a good manager in the way that he's kept this team in a position mm. with the, the, the limited amount of wages they spend on and new transfers coming in. I know they make conditions to the training ground, which is smart, but, wow, to keep asking this guy, Tim, to keep, keep them up, yeah. is, it's not easy. Yeah, it's worrying that he's had, he's had to play injured players, and that's never a good sign. Yeah, yeah, the depth not quite there, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. they've been... Uh, Worried about the talent that they've been bringing in as well. So our first game in the book still got one more to come here. We did just get some news from the Premier League, the latest round of COVID testing.
testing. 1,575 players and club staff were tested for COVID-19. Of those, there were eight new positives. Uh, players and club staff who have tested positive will now self-isolate for a period of 10 days. So eight positive out of over 1,500 tests conducted to players and staff. Is this just the way that Wolves play? It seems like every time we, we have them, it's a, a scoreless draw, perhaps, in the first half, and then they really get things going in the second half, and they did it again today against Leeds. Yeah, just really interesting. First half, very defensive-minded set up to, to thwart and to look at Leeds and to make sure they were tight, which they mostly were. They come out of their shell at the beginning of the second half. They get their goal. They go back into their shell and they see the game out. Leeds had a few opportunities, but generally struggled against a very good, strong defensive unit. Connor Cody, brilliant again as a central defender. And just a day that Leeds's attacking play wasn't good enough. Patrick mm. Bamford, who's done pretty well, Tim, just struggled for me to have any real impact in this game. Yeah, I thought Wolves bottled him up and did quite well defensively. Mm. Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo spoke before the game that the results were good, but the performances weren't quite up to standard. And, and that they needed to be sharper. I think that was another example there tonight. I didn't think they were incredibly sharp, but they were resilient defensively. In the midfield, they passed the ball well. Podence, of course, got on the ball and was lively. Mm -hmm. Jimenez, who we said has to carry this team in terms of goals, did that again tonight. But it, they weren't sharp enough. And so until they get to the point that Nuno wants them... Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll look like this, a bit pedestrian, but ultimately getting results. You do wonder how the result would be different. Of course, this affects all teams in a way, no fans in the stadium. But at Ellen Road, it's such an impact for Leeds United. You do wonder how this game would have been different with some fans in the stands. Yeah. I mean, we can say that in, in every game, but sure. particularly for Leeds United to come back in. They've waited 16 years to get there. We know what it's like. We've both played yeah. there. The noise, the support is incredible. And particularly the way that this team plays. They've won two, they've drawn one, they've lost two. So that's kind of what you're going to get from Leeds. You're going to get some, some good days and some days where they get caught in a little bit like they did today on the counter-attack. I just want to take you back to an incident that happened yesterday during the Man City Arsenal match with Sergio Aguero and the assistant referee here, Sean Massey Ellis. He was contesting her decision on a throw-in and then he put his hand on her left shoulder and sort of slightly round her neck. Now, this is an issue that has been incredibly divisive on social media and in the press and on the radio. And after the game, Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City manager, was asked about that moment. This is what he said. Can I just ask very briefly, um, there was an incident in the first half when Sergio seemed to put his arm around the lineswoman and she oh, sort of pushed on, him guys. away. Come on, guys. So she's the nicest person that I ever met in my life, so we can discuss. Take the problems, look the problems in other situations, not in this one. Come on. Well, Aguero will face no action from the Premier League because his action was not deemed to be aggressive or threatening. He's the nicest man he's ever met in his life, says Pep Guardiola. What are your thoughts, Robbie Musto? I didn't like it, to be honest with you. I didn't like it. There, just the pull towards him was unnecessary. I think it's inappropriate, a little patronising. I think she's not comfortable. He makes her feel a little uncomfortable by doing this. He's not doing that to, uh, to a male assistant on, on the sideline there. So, yeah, didn't like it. What was your first thoughts, Tim Howard, when you saw this and since? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know Aguero intimately, so I can't speak to that with what, what Pep said. My hope is that it was none of those things. My hope is that it was genuinely within the game. You shouldn't touch a referee. We know that. Um, if she felt uncomfortable, then it's an absolutely um, shouldn't be allowed, you know, but it, it doesn't look the best, if I'm being honest. From, from that replay, it doesn't look the best. and he probably shouldn't, like, again, just as a standard rule of thumb, you shouldn't touch a referee. 
aggressive or threatening are the words used in the mm. law. Mm. It, did, did it look aggressive or threatening? No, not, not for me. Not, not those words. But there's something else happening there. There's something there. else a little there that, that probably isn't in the rule book. Now, she's a female official... And it, I just didn't think she looked comfortable. It puts her in a, an awkward position. And, and Aguero's kind of in a face there. I just didn't like the little tug around the neck. Mm. Um, but listen, it, it, it does split a, uh, opinion. We've seen that on social media and different reaction from different people. For me, didn't like it. Tim, it's splitting opinion because she is a female mm. official. And people are talking about equality, but they're also talking about a female in a man's game. Where do you stand on the action taken towards her and people's views because she is a female. Sure, I think that has to absolutely be taken into consideration. This is this is 2020 and all and all of these issues are a big deal. They're at the forefront and they should be. And we have to take into consideration that if if she feels that that was towards her in a threatening manner because she's a woman, then again, there is absolutely no room for it. Do you think he should be punished? Uh, as such, no. Do you? No, I'd like to see the referee just yes. go over and walk with him and just have a little word about it absolutely. because you know. I, again, I don't think it was very good, but he didn't, and, it, and it's kind of let it slide. But that, for me, would have made me feel a little better that, mm. actually, that's kind of not OK what he just did there. Mm. It's a very interesting topic, and one I think you just have to have a quick look on social media and you will see an incredibly divided opinion amongst the masses. Welcome to this week's edition of The Lowdown. Tim Howard, Robbie Musto, alongside myself. We've got five questions. We're going to get started with Robbie Musto. OK, well... Obviously, normally 30 seconds. No clock on this one. Okay. Um, just wanted to get your reaction um, with the Sean Massey, Ellis, Sergio Aguero interaction in that match. Um, gosh, a lot of things to say about that. First and foremost, I think you should never put your hands on any official, first and foremost. Um, as a female watching that, I was very, very uncomfortable at the time it happened. I watched it since a number of times, slept on it, thought about it, listened to many people's points of view, continued to feel very uncomfortable. And I think the most important part of this is that that has to be respected. And there's a reason why thousands of women out there who watched it, and men actually, but thousands of women felt uncomfortable. And that's because that has happened to millions of women across the world, by the way, in every single situation and place, whether it be at work, whether it be in a bar, whether it be on the street. That has happened to women, and therefore the uncomfortable nature of what we saw resonated with a lot of women. I don't know Sergio Aguero. I don't know his intentions. I think intentions are irrelevant. If it makes somebody feel uncomfortable, that has mm. to be recognised. Um, the problem is, in terms of a punishment, aggressive and threatening behaviour... The wording is that that's used in the laws of the game. So you can be a yellow or red card to a player who are threatening or aggressive behaviour when they put their hands on a referee. It wasn't threatening or aggressive, but now we have a female assistant referee. Maybe it's a time to change the wording in the laws mm. to allow for a little bit more leeway mm. because just because it wasn't threatening or aggressive doesn't mean it was right, mm -hmm. OK, or comfortable for Sean Massielis. Now, I don't know, Sean. She might have been fine with it. And that's important. We don't know that. We'll probably never know that because referees can't talk. What I do know is it's divided opinion hugely. And until you've walked in the shoes of women, even in 2020, unfortunately, but certainly down the years, it's very difficult to judge whether or not that was right. I think you have to walk in those shoes first. So I was disappointed with it. It may be uncomfortable. And I hope we never see it again. Mm, very good point. Maybe it's time to change the laws. Absolutely. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.